All right, we're continuing our study through the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, we were going to take a big chunk out of it tonight. Uh, I'm going to focus mainly on uh, the ideas of, of uh, why people don't give uh, to other believers. Uh, but I, I do want to um, focus even more narrowly on the idea of who we're to give to. We're to give to believers and, and, uh, and not unbelievers. And so I'm, we're going to focus on that a bit. But I do want to show you this clip from Sense and Sensibility because I, I think it's something that exemplifies what we do when we typically know that we need to give to people and we have an obligation to give to Christians. Um, and so I, I, I want to kind of set this clip up in terms of here's a guy who has an obligation to take care of his family. And then slowly, as time goes on, the excuses come out so that he... Uh, goes from wanting to give them a large sum of money to basically giving them nothing at all. And so uh, here's, here's the clip. Father. John. John. You will find out soon enough from my will that the estate of Norland was left to me in such a way as prevents me from dividing it between my two families. Calm yourself, Father. This cannot be good for you. Norland, in its entirety, is therefore yours by law. And I am happy for you and Fanny. But your stepmother, my wife and daughters, are left only 500 pounds a year, barely enough to live on nothing for the girls' dowries. You must help them. Of course. You must promise to do this. I promise, Father. I promise. Help them? What do you mean, help them? Dearest, I mean to give them £3,000. The interest will provide them with a little extra income. Such a gift will certainly discharge my promise, my father. One had rather, on such occasions, do too much than too little. Of course, he did not stipulate a particular sum. Fifteen hundred pounds, then. What do you say to fifteen hundred? What brother on earth would do half so much for his real sisters? Let alone half blood. Well, they can hardly expect more. There's no knowing what they expect. The question is, what can you afford? It is better than parting with the 1500 all at once. But if she should live longer than 15 years, she'd be completely taken in. People always live forever when there is an annuity to be paid them. 20 pounds now and then will amply discharge my promise. You're quite right. Indeed. Although, to say the truth, I'm convinced within myself that your father had no idea of your giving them money. They will have 500 a year amongst them as it is. And what on earth could four women want for more than that? 
The housekeeping will be nothing at all. They'll have no carriage, no horses, hardly any servants, and will keep no company. Only conceive how comfortable they will be. They will be much more able to give you something. And uh, let's begin now in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this word. I pray that you open the hearts and eyes of your people to see what this is talking about. Uh, I know a lot of people had a problem with uh, things that I had said before. I pray that those things will connect to these things and help them understand what we talked about before concerning who we are to love uh, and who our neighbor is and all of that, the, the covenant people. And I pray that the exclusivity of your love is displayed in the exclusivity of our love for one another. Let us not display a false love, a different love of some other God, but rather your love uh, in in terms of how we give. Uh, Help us understand the connection of these passages. Let let us see them uh, for what they are so that we can truly know uh, who we should uh, love with our money. Father, we thank you so much uh, for all these things, and we seek that you might be glorified in them. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so what we're going to do today is a giant chunk, and I'm going to connect passages that previously you probably thought were not connected. Um, In fact, a lot of commentators, if you read commentators, they're just kind of like, yeah, this is kind of loosely connected, or it's not connected at all, it's just kind of thrown in there by Matthew, and... It's just a separate logion, and it's it, you're kind of like, what do you mean? It's not connected? Like, Matthew didn't know what he was writing, or he just was like, ah, this, this is a nice thing to throw in, even though it has nothing to do with what came before or after. Uh, that's how a lot of them argue, because they don't actually know how it's connected. They can't see how it's connected. I'm going to try to connect it uh, today for you. And I want to do this, first and foremost, the unit that we're um, looking at is chapter 6, verse 19, And I'm going to argue that the entire unit goes from 619 to 712, and it completes the rest of the moral teaching of the Sermon on the Mount before the cursings. Now, if you want to know how the the sermon is broken down, it's basically broken down. Remember, Jesus has ascended to the mountain. It's a new law. He's giving the, the law of Moses, but it's not a new law in the sense of that it's a different law. In other words, it's it's the law as he has interpreted the law and the prophets, the Old Testament. That's what he's giving to us, the Old Testament. Um, I hate to call it the Old Testament. He's really giving us the teaching of the Hebrew Bible. That's what he means by law and prophets. And so he's ascended to the mountain to give us this law, and it looks very much like the Deuteronomy law. It looks like blessings and cursings in that law. Of course, he puts the blessings in, in uh, at first. And the cursings at the end, so he kind of creates an inclusio there. But then you've got two aspects of the moral law. Two aspects of the moral law is don't do evil and do good. And people may think that they don't, or they don't understand the difference. Not doing evil is not doing good. Like they're, they're not the same thing. Like to not do evil means you just don't do evil. So you don't murder, you don't commit adultery, you don't lie, those things. But then we're also commanded to do good. So part of the law is uh, make sure you feed the poor. Make sure you do good to the poor. Make sure the poor have what they need. That's part of the law. And I don't know if you remember, if we if you go all the way back to the teaching on social justice versus uh, biblical justice, I argued that um, giving to the poor 
in accordance with what God has commanded is a matter of justice, not not mercy. It can be called mercy if you give more than that. Um, you can call it mercy ministry, but it typically is described in the Bible as sedek. That is righteousness, justice. Why? Because God, justice is what God has allotted to someone. He has decided to give someone a particular portion of your finances, of your wealth. And therefore, it doesn't belong to you. You're the steward of it, but it belongs to them. Why? Because everything that you have belongs to him. So since everything you have belongs to him, there's a portion that God has allotted to the poor. There's a portion that God has allotted to the ministry. So it goes to the priests in the Old Testament or it goes to the elders in the New Testament. There's a portion that's allotted to people and therefore it's justice. This is why at the end of the day, you're going to be judged not only on whether you, you know, did evil, but you're also going to be judged on whether you did good. So at the end of Matthew, we're going to see, I was naked and you clothed me. I was hungry and you gave me drink. Why? Because what the, uh, to the extent that you did it to the least of these brothers of mine, you did it to me. And so it's a matter of justice. You didn't fulfill the law. He's not simply saying, oh, you weren't merciful and you, you didn't give enough. And that. No, he's saying you didn't give what I told you to give, which is to take care of these brothers of mine, these fellow Christians. So um, it's, it's very important to understand that this is a part of the law then. So now this part of Jesus' teaching, his correction of this sort of pharisaical religion that allows you to kind of just worship money and hang on to money. And you can see that the Pharisees later on are called lovers of money. Um, that this sort of love of money is, is idolatrous. And it's, uh, it's basically having another god. Um, and it's obeying this other god rather than God who told you what to do with your money. You want to do what you want to do with your money. And you don't want to listen to what God has said. And that shows you that, in fact, um, you either are the god that's being worshipped with your money or you worship your money itself. So what I think that this section is doing is Jesus is smacking back against people who don't want to give. And he gives us essentially about five or six reasons here, depending on how you take it, of, um, of why people don't give. Why people don't actually do the justice of giving to the ministry, to the poor. The ministers are essentially the poor. Um, because they, they do this full time and they can't survive otherwise, or just the poor who, for whatever reason, are poor. Um, and so he's going to give these reasons. And again, it's, it, it's not usually, people don't usually read it this way. Uh, so they think these things are disjointed, but I want to show you how they're connected. So I first want to do this by going to the very end. I want to go to 712. And what he says is this, therefore... Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So now you can see there's kind of this inclusio from when he originally mentioned the law and the prophets that not a yod or a tittle, not the smallest part of the moral law of the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, the teaching of the law and the prophets, not one bit of it will pass away until heaven and earth pass away. That God will require this of you throughout the entire time of not only the Old Testament, but the New Testament. This continues on. 
And this is why I say Jesus is not making up a new law. This is important. We'll revisit this later. This is not a new law. He's telling you this is the requirement of God. This is what God always communicated to you. This is what the Old Testament says uh, in terms of morality. And he says, therefore, whatever you wish others to do for you, do also for them. Now, scholars will note that this, this is the love your neighbor as yourself. It's another way of putting it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Whatever you would have them do to you, do to them. And so this is the love your neighbor as yourself. This is paralleled in like Romans 12. Um, it's paralleled throughout when Paul says, you know, the summary of, of all good things basically is, can be summed up in love your neighbor as yourself, which is the law and the prophets, right? And so he's getting this from Christ's teaching. But I want you to notice a word that we tend to just skip over and not pay attention to, and that is the word, therefore, un, therefore. As Jeff says many times, what is the therefore, therefore? What is it summarizing? Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. That is, again, the love your neighbor is yourself. What's it talking about? Well, it's not talking about what immediately preceded it, because that's talking about asking God, uh, seeking and, and, and knocking and all of that, so God will give you like good gifts, that sort of thing. That's not talking about others. Uh, it's talking about God. And then you go uh, before that, and it's talking about, you know, don't give what is holy to dogs. And it's like, well, okay, well, that's not really talking about, you know, that, that thing. And so you realize that the therefore is a therefore that summarizes this entire section. It may, in fact, summarize the entire thing and therefore, like I said, create an inclusio from the original statement of the Law and the Prophets to this statement. Either way, the therefore is summing up a huge section of things. And I would argue that it's likely in this part summing up this second section. The first one begins that whole section of the Law and the Prophets. And so you have do not murder, do not commit adultery, uh, don't misuse the Lord's name and oath-taking and all that sort of thing. You have that section covered. But then the second part of the law is covered by this end statement that this, this law and the prophets here is talking about taking care of fellow, mom, uh, fellow members in the covenant community. So let's go through each of these. And I want to show you that this is talking about who you should take care of with your wealth. Um, what you should do with your money, your financial resources, whether or not you should just give it out to anyone in need or whether it's just for Christians. People get mad at me for this because we, we talked about this a little bit already in terms of who you should love, understanding love is choice between this person and that person, choosing this person over that person. Again, we'll talk about that uh, further as we go through. But, uh, but this is furthering that idea of, of who you should love. And, um, and it's doing it by basically assuming that you should be loving fellow believers by taking care of them when they're in, the, they're in need. Um, now, Jesus is going to go through, and I, like I said, and he's going to give you reasons that people give or he's going to negate, he's going to refute reasons that people give uh, or people you know, just have uh, for not giving, for not taking care of fellow believers. So number one reason in verses 19 through 24, because your treasure is here in this world and not in the next. 
The number one reason you don't give to your fellow believers like you should, and when I say give, I mean take care of them. I don't mean just throw them something and then they're not taken care of and then they'll be homeless tomorrow and they just won't have anything to eat tomorrow or whatever. I mean, you actually take care of them, like, like in a Luke Acts type way, to where no one had any need, that sort of thing. Why don't you do that? Because your treasure is more here in this world than it is in the next. Uh, verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now remember, I think this is the Semitic idea of heart, and so it's talking about the mind. Uh, And that's typically the way that Matthew uses the word heart. It's not talking about your emotions, not talking about even your desires in that regard. It's really talking about what you think, where your thoughts are, um, what you think is ideal, how you think you know you should use your money and all that sort of thing. Wherever you think you're looking for your reward, um, that's that's where that's where your mind's going to be. And so you're not your mind's not going to be on the Christian who needs help. It's going to be on whatever you want to do with your money. The eye, verse 22, is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Um, now, this is an interesting little little uh, analogy here of the fact that, look, you're, you're, if your eye is darkened, then your whole body's darkened, meaning that there's, you know, you don't see anything. Everything's black. Everything's dark. Everything's night. Um, and he relates this to having your treasure in the wrong place. He relates this to your money, to serving money rather than God, um, to having more concern over money than, than God. And therefore, the idea is that if you, if you are concerned about money more than you are concerned about obeying God, uh, you, will, you will not be uh, aware of what you should be doing in general. In other words, your morality will stink. You will have awful morality. Why? Because your eyes are blind. You're committing idolatry. Um, you have money as an idol. Money is your God. And therefore, there's no light that's coming in. And so he says in verse 24, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other. That Again, it's not talking about emotional hate and emotional love. That's not what we're talking about when we talk about love and hate. We're talking about choosing one thing over another when it comes down to it. You're choosing something or someone over something else or someone else. And so you cannot serve two masters in that regard because when it comes down to it, you've got to choose one over the other. You're either going to give to God's people because he told you to do that or you're not. You can't serve both at the same time. It's not going to work. You're either going to obey God fully to the fullest extent or you're not. That's it. You can't do both. So no one can serve those two masters. He will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, which is the Aramaic word for um, 
for wealth. And often mammon can refer to just everything that you own. Um, it, it refers to like cattle at some point, but wealth is the idea. Whatever your wealth is, whatever in your material things uh, is kind of summed up in your material things or your worth or whatever, you cannot serve both. And so that's, that's the n- number one reason really is because you just have your mindset on something else. Now, here's the second reason, and it's related to the first because your security and comfort in life is more in your money than it is in God. Because you just think, well, I need this money. I need this. This is my retirement. I, I need this. This is my comfort. I, I, can't, I can't give. I can't give because, well, I, I need it, though. I need it. Um, if I, I don't know what I'm going to do if I don't have, have it as like a security. And Christ says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they are? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first, there's that love of God, seek first the kingdom, the rule, the dominion of God and his righteousness, not the righteousness of the Pharisees, his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So Jesus is hitting back against this idea that, well, I need money as security. And he's saying, what are, you, what are you talking about? God's the one who controls your life. You can't expand your life one second. God decides how long you will live. God clothes the lilies of the field. Will he not clothes his people? God feeds the birds of the air, and yet are you his people not worth more than many birds? Do not let that be an excuse for why you don't give and take care of other believers. God is the one who will provide. In fact, he'll, he'll say that later on. We're going to get to that as well. But ultimately, the security that we have should be in God so that you're seeking first his kingdom. What's his kingdom about? What's the kingdom where we have his righteousness in it? And it's a kingdom where we take care of one another. By the way, again, the word for giving in the law, typically it's sedek. Guess what? Righteousness. His righteousness. His justice. Sedek. Seek that above everything else. Not only in terms of not trying to murder, not trying to commit adultery in every way, but also in taking care of one another. Seek that first. 
and then all these other things that you need, those things will be added to you. Now, that gets us to chapter 7, and I want you to notice this is a passage that is taken out of context and not really understood a whole lot, even by Christians who, you know, hear it taken out of context and they fight against it or something. Uh, Chapter 7, judge not that you might not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, at first glance, you may not realize that this is in the context of giving. But as we go on, I'm going to try to show you that we're still on that particular topic. He hasn't switched topics because we're going to, by the end of this, we're going to be back to, hey, if you, if you don't have what you need to give, then ask. And the Heavenly Father will give you good gifts, good things to those who ask him. Uh, plural. So he's, uh, Matthew is not doing what Luke does with this text, which is to talk about the Holy Spirit. Matthew is not talking about the Holy Spirit. He changes it to be good things, plural. Talking about material goods that you were given. And so um, we're still in the section that's dealing with giving to, uh, giving to fellow believers. Now, what does this have to do with giving? Well, one of the big excuses that people don't give, probably one of the biggest one I've ever seen, and what I hear from most believers is that, well, they don't deserve it. They're sinners. They're in error in some way. They misuse their money. They do whatever it is. They, they have some sort of judgment for other believers in terms of how they use their money or that they're sinners or that whatever, something's, something's wrong with them to where I don't have to give to them because I, I, I think that, you know, it, it's, they don't deserve it. Judge not, lest you be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure... The measure. Uh, measuring is typically a, I mean, you can use it to talk about a judgment standard, obviously, and I think there's a, a, a kind of a double uh, meaning here. But, um, but measuring is also like you're measuring goods out and giving them. With, with that measure you use, it will be measured to you. That measure will be given to you. And so the idea is that, look, um, do you want to be judged that way when you're in need? Do you want people looking and saying, well, you could have invested here when you you didn't, and you could have spent your money here when you didn't, and you could have done this instead of this. And so really, I I don't really have to give to you because you you mishandle your money anyway. I got news for you. The, The poor mishandles their money because they can't do anything else with it half the time except for try to survive on it. But a lot of times that's why people are poor because they've mishandled money. You can go through and you can just decide that you don't have to give to most Christians because they mishandled money. Or you don't have to give to most of them because, well, you know, they're not as perfect as, as you think they should be. But the question is, is like, well, are, are they under church discipline? Well, if not, then you should probably give to them if they're in need. Um, this whole judgment of people so that, well, I'm comforting myself to where I'm okay not giving because... Uh, you're, you're not worthy to be given to, it, it's not going to cut it. It's not going to cut it. 
We don't judge one another in that way. Um, so I realize that's very different than the way that you probably have interpreted this. It's very different than the world interprets it, obviously, we all agree. Um, but I would encourage you to read this in light of the context of talking about giving. Very next statement now. What's another reason people say they can't give? Well, they've already given away and they, they, they actually give their, their money to other things, that is to even unbelievers. So verse six, do not give to dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now, this is another one that is typically not interpreted correctly because it's not understood that we're talking about money and wealth. And so people tend to think, well, do not give to dogs means, well, don't, uh, don't speak the gospel to people who aren't going to receive it. Do you really think that that is what this means? Do you really think that, like, don't rebuke people who you think that aren't going to take the rebuke? Does Jesus follow his own advice? Do the apostles ever at any time ever obey this? No, because that's not what this is talking about. It's not saying, oh, you know what? Make sure you, you know, don't, don't speak to people truth and good things from your mouth. That's what the holy is typically understood as or the pearls or whatever. No, look, let's read it very clearly. Do not give two dogs, what is holy. And by the way, this term, that the, the, that which is holy is, is a reference often in the Pentateuch for food, uh, taking care of people through food or sacrifices or whatever it may be. Um, food. And do not throw your what? Pearls. Your pearls represent wealth. And then they're used again by Jesus to represent wealth and, and that which is valuable. Um, it's not talking about words. Yeah, your words are wealthy and valuable. Like you can do that as a metaphor. That's great. That's not what it's talking about. Um, it's talking about not giving your money, your financial resources to unbelievers. That's what the dog is. That's what the pig is. It's talking about unbelievers. A dog is someone outside the covenant community. The pig is someone who is unclean. That is, they're, they're not in the covenant community. By the way, this is the way the didache takes it. The didache, which is recognized by most scholars, either it's the interpretation of Matthew, um, or you know, it, it's an interpretation, or Matthew's getting certain apostolic teaching from it. Um, and obviously, it's not going to accord with everything. We wouldn't agree with everything the didache says. But my point is, is that it does identify the pigs and the dogs as unbelievers. And in a Jewish community, that would have been very much understood. Don't give what is holy. Give what is holy. That is your wealth, that which belongs to Christ, to unbelievers. And everything you have is holy. Everything that is yours to, to, as for you to be a steward for your money, your wealth, is considered holy to the Lord. You are not to give that to unbelievers. Your giving should be toward believers. Now, 
I realize a lot of people don't like that because I, again, this, this feeds into what we talked about before with who do you love? Again, I'm not saying go around and have awful feelings toward unbelievers or to treat them nasty or something like that. I'm talking about love and hate in terms of choosing. At the end of the day, who you're going to take care of. You only have a limited amount of resources and those resources belong to Jesus Christ. You are not to give what belongs to Christ and belongs to his people to take care of them and throw it away to unbelievers who are just going to use it to get tread beneath their feet to turn around and rip you and Christianity apart. Thanks for giving to the devil's ministry. Congratulations. I hope you get like a, you know, a tax-free donation uh, a letter from the devil. I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. And I ask people all the time, it's like, oh, no, you should give to everybody. Okay, do you give to false prophets? Well, no, I mean, not a false prophet. Well, wait a minute. You just said you should give to everyone. Now, now you're being exclusive. Oh, what, because they don't believe your religion? I mean, that's what I get all the time, right? It's like, oh, what, you're going to ask them if they're a Christian first? That's so stupid, blah, blah, blah. It's like, um, well, one, I, I think that you should actually be giving to people in your church. And then giving, giving to people who have letters from their churches, that's the way the early church did it. They didn't just hand out money to everyone. In fact, the Didache makes that statement that you should let your money sweat in your hand until you know to whom you should give it. They weren't just passing out free money to everybody. And they weren't being discriminatory um, just because, well, you're a false prophet, so we're just going to add something to why we don't give to you. It's like, no, no. They're being discriminatory in terms of, no, we give to believers. We don't give to unbelievers. You want to give something to unbelievers? You don't give them a part of the kingdom to come. Your wealth is a part of the kingdom. And when you give to an unbeliever, you are saying to that unbeliever, part of that kingdom, even though you don't believe, even though you spit at Christ, part of that kingdom belongs to you. You're a liar through your giving. You're preaching a false gospel through your giving. We preach the true gospel. You may not like what I say, but my, my giving is consistent with my gospel. My gospel is that you have the kingdom if you are in Jesus Christ. If you have faith in Christ, the kingdom is yours. All that belongs to Christ is yours. But if you are not in the kingdom, nothing that belongs to Christ is yours. Nothing. And I'm not going to act like it does. And I'm going to give you the gospel then that you need to enter that kingdom and partake in those resources rather than those resources and act like you already have them even though you don't believe in Jesus. It is part of our Christless Christianity. It is part of our inclusive enlightenment religion that we have adopted where we identify the neighbor as everybody. I just saw it again on Facebook. Not everybody's your brother, but everybody's your neighbor. No, brother and neighbor, brother when it's talking about fellow believers and not just same ethnicity, brother is talking about the same thing. Neighbor is brother. They equal one another. They're not different. And yet it's part of this religion that we just can't shake and people are so mad at me. Why? Because you have a biblical reason? You really think that Christ is saying, yeah, you know what? I'm gonna say that in the Old Testament that to kill the Canaanite, uh, kill his wife, take his children into slavery, burn his city down, and take all his stuff. That's love. 
Or you're going to have to say, Jesus is giving a new law, which he explicitly here says he's not doing. He explicitly here says, this is the law and the prophets. This is the Old Testament. He's not saying, oh, here's, here's the new law that I want to make. This is why we were going to come back to this. He's not making a new law in the sense that it's not the old law. He's simply telling you the right way to interpret the old law. And that right way is consistent with killing Canaanites in the Old Testament, killing the Amalekites in the Old Testament. It's consistent with the love of God that that loves Jacob and hates Esau. What, you're better than God in your love? You think that Jesus is commanding us, be better than God in his love. God hates uh, Esau, but you're to love Esau. You really th- you think that God is commanding us to be better than God? No. No. The only thing I can think of is that people just have a warped view of love that they actually think that when I say you shouldn't love the pagan that that somehow means go around and hate the pagan to the point of like beating them or saying nasty things to them or or being bitter toward them or something of that nature, wishing, wishing evil on them or something. It's like, that's not what I mean by hate. I just mean that you're not choosing them. You're not giving your wealth to them. You're choosing God's people over them as God does. And if it means their destruction, because it, you have to give life to God's people, so be it. That's what love looks like. And if you don't like that, take it up with Christ. Because you're bending and you're twisting and you're making this something that it's not. You're acting as though, well, Jesus came along and he's preaching something completely new than the Old Testament. He's pushing us further away, you know, away from the Old Testament to where the Old Testament just had its things where, yeah, sure, they hated the Canaanites, but we're not to hate anybody. No, Jesus explicitly himself, you're making him a liar. He's saying himself, this is the law and the prophets. This is what's already been spoken to you. I'm not telling you something new. And then lo and behold, we look in the Old Testament. Who's the neighbor? It's the fellow Israelite. It's the fellow believer. It's not the Assyrian pagan. In fact, throughout Matthew, we're going to see this development to where, you know, earlier on, he talked about the fact that you don't just greet your brothers, talking about your ethnicity, because Matthew wants to expand brother to mean anyone who's a brother of Jesus, which will include Gentiles. And therefore, we're all Jews. We're all Israel who are in Christ. And it's people outside who are Gentiles. That's why throughout this, I've been translating Gentile as like pagan, because ultimately, um, you know, don't, don't. It don't uh, pray with many words because the Gentiles do this, thinking they're going to be heard by God. That is the pagans. Uh, later on in, in uh, Matthew 18, that you're to cast out the wicked unbeliever or the wicked believer who uh, refuses to repent, and you treat him as a tax gatherer and a Gentile, a pagan. And so we uh, we understand that the lines are being redrawn by Christ with the law and the prophets, not apart from it. He's using the law and the prophets to say, here are believers, now take care of them. That's why when we get to the final judgment scene between the goats and the sheep, it's what you did to the least of these brothers of mine 
Not what you did to just poor people in general. That's why when John says, you know, I, I say this all the time. We, we have the song, they will know we are Christians by our love. That is not what Jesus said. He said, they will know you are Christians. My disciples, by your love for one another, referring to fellow Christians. And John applies that in his epistle to taking care of one another. That if you have the world's goods and you turn away from your brother who is in need, how can you say the love of God is in you? Notice the love of God is manifest in your love for your brother, not your love for the poor in general. Is God going to damn the world and they're going to be tormented in hell for all eternity and you're going to call that love still? Oh, well, you don't, we just, you know, it's a mystery and it's like, dude, people appeal to mystery in ethics when they actually have a contradiction. I don't have a contradiction in my theology. I don't have a contradiction in my ethics. You have a contradiction in yours between the gospel and between God's love and between what God has actually revealed to us in terms of who he is and what he's commanded his people throughout the Bible and your particular ethic, which is inclusive, which is an enlightenment ethic and not the Bible. And you've got one verse in Matthew 5 that you think actually supports your view and it doesn't. That's why I try to put it in context for you and say, look, this is in the context of fellow believers. It's not telling you that your enemies are like unbelievers. It's talking about the fact that you have people in the covenant community who are hostile to you, who slander you, and that's how they're persecuting you, who say all sorts of evil things against you. Oh, I don't know, maybe for teaching that love is, in, is exclusive. Maybe you're slandering teachers who, I don't know, teach this, what I'm teaching right now. I know I get it. I know I've made enemies because of this. And I just want to say right now, in obedience to that passage, may God bless you. May God open your eyes. I have nothing but blessing for you. May, may, may just blessings be heaped upon you. I will not curse you for it. I will not retaliate in kind. But I do want you to know that the scripture seems very clear that Jesus is saying, I'm not teaching anything different than the Old Testament. So if you have your religion that's frankly probably situated on some sort of dispensational view where Jesus comes along and now he's teaching a different ethic than the Old Testament, that the Old Testament is you know, no longer in terms of its morality, and now Jesus has a new morality where we just love everybody, I'm telling you that's not what Jesus is saying. He flat out says here, I'm teaching the law and the prophets. He said it in the beginning on the sermon, and he's saying it toward the end. So the next three, so don't give to unbelievers is the idea. Like you give to believers. Don't give what is holy to unbelievers. It belongs to believers. It belongs to Jesus Christ. It belongs to his people. It does not belong to unbelievers, and you are doing something evil with it if you give to them. Next reason, because you're broke. You can't take care of believers because you just don't have the money to take care of. And this is where you get this in verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, 
and one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened? Or which one of you, if he has a son, asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Notice, good things here now has been changed from Luke, where it was the Holy Spirit, to talking about the material things you need to take care of one another. If you don't actually have those things, let that be your prayers. Let it be your intent to work harder. Let it, let it be your intent to pray for um, greater opportunity to make more so that you can support and help other believers who need it. You can support the ministry. You can support other believers. Look, we've talked before. We don't believe in tithing. We, we think tithing is part of the ritual law. But the principle of giving remains because that's a moral thing. Because with the tithe, the priests were taken care of and the poor was taken care of. And so giving does remain, but it's, it's more ramped up, right? It's, it's whatever you can give. So don't limit yourself with the tithe. Give more than, like we talked about before. That's what love looks like. Love and give. And love with a, with a joyful heart, according to whatever you decide is what you want. There's no set amount of what you should give, but give out of love. Finally, the last one, taking just the last phrase, um, the reason why people don't give is because they don't love their fellow believers as themselves. Again, if you want to summarize all of this, what would you do? What would you have done for you if you were in the situation where you were in need? Do you want people to make these excuses? Do you want people to say, well, you know, they don't really, they don't really deserve it because they mishandled their money and da 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 Do you want people to say to you, um, well, you know what, I, I, I kind of need this for my retirement. Do you want people to say to you, well, you know, sorry, you know, I, I gave to this organization and that organization and, and these unbelievers because I, I feel like they're doing good work in the world. And, you know, I just, I just gave to the guy in the parking lot, the con man on the street. I, I gave to all of them. Or even just, you know, I gave to this, you know, other family member who was, I didn't have obligation to, but they're, they're family. So I gave to them, and even though they're unbelievers. So I don't have anything to give to you. I can't take care of you as well as I, I could have. You're like, well, I split it between them. It's like, right, so you take care of a believer for one month when you, God gave you that money to take care of him for two, but you had to take care of the unbeliever for a month as well. Like, it doesn't work. Again, you can't serve God and mammon. You can't do both. You've got to choose what you're going to do with your money, and therefore, it's got to be a matter of love, which means love is a choice. You, you love Jacob and you hate Esau. You've got to do it. That's what you have to do with your money. So the, the tragedy is just that people really don't give because they don't love others as they love themselves. You would want people to not make these excuses to say, well, you know, I just don't have the money to take care of you. Well, can you ask? Can you pray? Can you help that way? Like, I'll pray that the money, but the money's not going to drop on the doorstep out of heaven. It drops out of heaven through believers and their wealth that they currently have. And that's how God gives to his people. It's not, the stork's not going to deliver it. It's being delivered through you, through God moving you to, through love to take care of his people. You can't do that if you are worshiping money. You can't do that if you're so anxious about it that you can't give. 
uh, because you think that your, your comfort and your, your security in life is somehow in your money. You can't do that if you're busy judging other believers to be worthy or not or whether they should actually receive your money. You can't do it if you've given your money away to unbelievers. You can't do it if you're broke and you're not working toward the goal of taking care of other believers. And you certainly can't do it if you actually don't love other believers as yourself. So I think Christ is calling us to a higher righteousness than that of the Pharisees by saying, look, uh, th- these are the excuses that, that people in their natural religion would make. As long as I'm like doing certain ritual things for God and I'm kind of giving God this or that, I, I can kind of hold on to the money. If you really want to see whether people are really given all for Christ, that money issue is so big. It's going to be revisited again, remember, with the rich young ruler later on in the gospel. And he's like, man, I, yeah, I do all this stuff. I honor my father and mother, and I don't murder, and I don't commit adultery, and I obey these laws. I've kept them since I was young even. So most of my life, really. And Jesus is like, yeah, that's great, but you've got a massive God in your life, and it's not the Father in heaven. You need to sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. And he was not willing to do it. And you can just think all these things may be running through his mind of why he didn't need to, to comfort himself, because down deep he knew he was disobeying the Lord. Look, my point to you is is that we have a directive from God to give to one another. And it's very clear, whenever giving comes about, whenever love is described in terms of giving and taking care of one another, it's always the brethren. It's the brethren in, in Romans 12. It's the brethren in 1 John. It's the brethren in James. It's all talking about poor brethren. It's the brethren in Luke and Acts. It's never the unbeliever. It's never just hold on to it because, you know, you don't think other people are worthy. I mean, it's, it's, always, the, it's always give to the brethren who are in need. There's a collection of money for the poor churches that are going on. There's no collection of money for, like, people in general. Like, let's collect money for the Roman Empire. Yeah, that's called taxes. You already do that. And I'm not saying, hey, you don't, God has left nothing to the, the unbelieving poor. He has the nations take care of them. The nations are responsible, and he'll judge the nations for not taking care of their poor. But we have our own holy nation with our holy resources that belong to Jesus Christ, and those are to go to God's holy people. We're to take care of our own nation, our own holy nation as Christians. You take care of others in your your secular nation by paying taxes, and the government has responsibility for the poor in that regard. But you take care of God's people with the resources, the holy resources of Christ. And you don't make excuses. Because at the end of the day, we we want to actually do to people what we would have them do to us. And the terror, the terror of being in poverty, the terror of not having shelter, not having clothing or food, things that are needed to survive, We want to take that terror away from our brothers and and sisters in Christ. We want to remove that because we love them as we love Christ. And that's why we're doing things. And that's how people identify us as disciples of Christ. 
because our motivation is to love Christ through the least of these brothers of his. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. I I know that it's going to ruffle feathers, and I I realize people are going to have a problem with it. Let them just convict them that they have a problem with what you have said, and that most people are actually not reading these texts very closely. Uh, They're running over them. They're assuming their traditions. They're not reading these things in context. They don't want the context of Matthew to be what it is. They don't want his audience to be what it is. Uh, They don't want love to be what it is. I mean, it's uh, on and on, Lord, these things that are in the way because they've been brainwashed in a religion that taught them that love, you should love everybody the same and there's no choosing and all that sort of thing and everything's inclusive and that sort of thing. I, I pray instead, Lord, that you open their eyes to your word, help them see that Jesus is the center of all things and apart from him, no one receives the blessings of the kingdom. Let us preach that not only in our words, but let us also preach that in our actions, in our giving. As Jesus does not heal people because of their lack of faith, let us not give the blessings of the kingdom in our wealth to people because of their lack of faith, but rather because of people's faith in you, because of people's faith in your son, Let us give to them on that basis and on that basis alone, because what belongs to the son belongs to all the sons and daughters of the kingdom. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We ask that you would be glorified and exalted above this false religion that has been taught to us since our birth. Oh, Lord, may may its foundations collapse and may we continue and further your kingdom in the advancement of your kingdom as we take over Uh, this place with your gospel, with upholding Jesus Christ as the center, as the only center and the only means and the only door into that kingdom and its resources. Father, let us be consistent all the way through. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.